This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The site operated much like eBay. It allowed users to buy and sell illegal drugs, guns, and even hire hitmen. The Silk Road uh, was set up to be completely anonymous, hidden from law enforcement efforts. Grew to become the biggest illegal drug market on the internet. The FBI spent two years trying to find the man behind the site. Dread Pirate Roberts. Dread Pirate Roberts. Dread Pirate Roberts. Dread Pirate Roberts. Dread Pirate Roberts could face life in prison. Well, he he created this online marketplace. It involves a little-known part of the internet known as the dark web and a website called the Silk Road. Anything that you send to this, to this through this internet, is completely encrypted, and nobody knows that it's you who sent it. That was kind of his fatal flaw. It was pretty ridiculous that you would put your real name out there if you're going to create this, become a criminal mastermind. But that's what he did. Ulbricht is facing a number of drug and conspiracy charges and has pleaded not guilty. Well, Russ Ulbricht, as we told you several moments ago, was told by a judge that he would have to forfeit 184 million dollars. I think it was unfair. I think it was not a level playing field. It's difficult to say exactly what the precedent is, but I think what it does show is that the government has the ability to infiltrate and prosecute hackers. The biggest criminal trial in the history of the Internet is over this morning, and so apparently is Ross Ulbricht's freedom. This sentence is anything more than just purely punitive and completely beyond the range of what drug offenders get in this district, in this circuit, in this country. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of My Passion Case. I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this week's guest is Justin from the Generation Y podcast. And we are going to discuss a very interesting case, one that I think you will find very intriguing, and whether or not you decide if the punishment fit the crime. So let's jump into my conversation with Justin. And just a reminder, this will be a weekly interview show every Monday. Joining me this week is Justin from Generation Y, one of the most popular true crime podcasts in the industry, and I am very lucky to be joined this week by Justin. So thanks for joining me, Justin. How are you doing this week? Hey, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm not doing too bad. I'm, uh, I feel very uh, happy to have you on the show and very lucky at the same time. You know, welcome to my passion case. This is where I ask, what is your passion case or what did you choose to discuss this week? I always like cases that give some sort of commentary on society. We had spoken briefly once before, um, and you you talked about uh, you were into the old punk rock scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, something that was very uh, popular in the old punk rock genre is the DYI, do it yourself. <laughs> the zine. Yeah. You know, if, if you want it, then you make it happen. You know, you build it, they will come. And uh, being in the Midwest, I mean, there was no scene here. You had to do it yourself. And I think this story is the ultimate in the do-it-yourself phenomena and the most punk rock thing somebody could probably do to society. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if this, was, if this could have been a chapter if the Anarchist Cookbook was out nowadays, that would be a chapter in, in, uh, I, on this case, I believe. <laughs> So we're we're talking about the uh, Silk Road website on the dark web. On the dark web. The Silk Road with Dread Pirate Roberts. Mr. So, Ross Ulbrich. <laughs> yeah. Ross. 
So what is it about the case that, uh, that fascinates you the most? Because I find this case to be extremely fascinating from, you know, just the whole origin of it. Just the, the fact that he was able to do it, the fact that there was a dark web where he could pull it off, the fact that he made a ton of money <laughs> off of this and that law enforcement, you know, you know, all of law enforcement's, you know, men couldn't get him shut down for so long because of the aspects of it. And it's always human error that will bring you down because security, you, you can have all the security in the world, but you, let one person in through the front door and <laughs> you're dead. Um, That's a good so, point. Yeah. And, and just uh, it brings in the whole argument of the legalization of drugs, but then it goes further than that. And how do people feel about that? There's a whole like myriad of things that this case kind of touches on, not to sound crass, but I mean, this was an entrepreneur. I mean, in, you know, the book that I listened to over the weekend, you know, American Kingpin, they talk about how the valuation of the company would have been just astronomical if it was, if, big, yeah. big if, uh, if it was a legal means of uh, doing things. Yeah, if it was a business entity, I think it was up into the billions. Oh, yeah, significantly into the billions. I think it was, they said it was going to be, if they, he had done the math and he was, I think he was at the same value as Facebook or something crazy. And <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, you talk about somebody who um, he saw basically a, an opportunity and took his skills. He kind of Walter Whited it. Yeah. Uh, so anyone that doesn't know, uh, Ross started out as a, a mushroom grower and then he was pretty much a self-taught programmer which is insane because i can't do that and i'm an it guy <laughs> so he created this site and at the very very beginning he actually went out onto like mushroom forms and promoted his site using a certain id or online handle that could be traced back to him because in the very beginning he wasn't thinking ahead <laughs> and so he posts on this mushroom site uh, using an email address that's probably rossolbrick at gmail.com. Uh, and he doesn't realize what he's done there. And then he starts this whole Silk Road site. And in the beginning, it's just some pot dealers, some ecstasy dealers doing their thing, you know, and getting, getting their drugs out there. And it's essentially eBay, but for drugs, right? Yeah. And so give... Give me a little bit of background. I mean, I'm f somewhat familiar the, about the dark web, but really when it boils down to it, I probably don't know Jack compared to, to a lot of people. Could you give me a little bit? Of, do you know a little bit about the, um, the dark web? I can give you it in a nutshell, and I'm sure okay. anyone listening will probably be screaming through their you know headphones. I'm sure I'll hear it. <laughs> uh, but uh, the dark web was essentially set up by the American government. Uh, I think it was the Navy, and it was a way for the military personnel to continue communications with a mesh network that wasn't public in case uh, the public internet ever went down or had problems or to just hide or obfuscate their communications through the dark web. So it's, it was created and made by our government to, for military purposes. And so the government is, is sort, of like, sort of like the opiate crisis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They create their own problems. <laughs> and then they say they're the solution. <laughs> yeah. Like the whole robocalling thing. Like for, for a moment there, like when, when they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to have this robocalling thing and then you're going to pay two nine. I'm like, wait a second. You created a problem. Now we have to pay for it. How's that going to make any sense? I'm glad yeah. to see that they sort of got that straightened out. But not to go that's off on a tangent. Yeah, that's what the government's good at is creating a problem and then giving you the solution. So yeah. <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but but it, it is valid for this discussion because it is really it is. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is because th there were a lot of people that were affected by this. Yeah. So Ross takes advantage of this private web that is encrypted and untraceable to create his website. 
And of course, he's self-taught when he's programming, so he's not that great at it. So he has huge holes in his website that any hacker can just walk right through. And then uh, he starts getting bigger and bigger, right? I mean, it just takes off. You, like, it's, it's like field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. And uh, I think that is like the truest expression that you could apply to this type of thing. And especially when you have drugs. I mean, drugs on the web. That, that I think is, you know, the whole dark web and the way that these drugs would have been purchased. I found listening to the book that became almost the most difficult aspect of the of the dark web was acquiring bitcoins and how you actually would use those items to purchase these drugs i uh yeah i i interviewed a guy on my peripheral who was just some random dude up in you know like michigan or montana or something and he started buying and using from the silk road and he wasn't a very techie guy and he figured it out, but it took him weeks, if not months to be like, okay, I need to go through this exchange and I need to go send money to this Australia, Australian website that would then give me the cryptocurrency that will then go in my wallet, but it can't be my official wallet. It's got to be a, a holding wallet so I can buy the drugs and there's no connection back to me. It was this whole process. To be able to understand that <laughs> like i i have trouble even wrapping my brain around the i mean yes that sounds awesome to be able to buy drugs online i'm not gonna take that as you will i mean i didn't mean that as an endorsement to do drugs i'm just saying that for people who do do drugs that is a nice feature uh but the acts you know the whole getting the bitcoins understanding cryptocurrencies and all these different exchanges I mean, man, and then to have this guy be a self-taught programmer, like you had said, you're an IT guy. That's insane. Yeah, and I, I don't know how he did it, but obviously there was a lot of missteps along the way. I mean, you read the book; you hear about how many times his site was hijacked and people held it for ransom because he didn't know what he was doing. Um, I mean, I I remember my a buddy of mine and I set up a, a shopping site for my wife's shop, you know, very basic thing. And we got the shopping cart already and just applying that and setting it all up took months. And I'm pretty sure Ross just did it all himself. And you have to realize that it's not just a, a an eBay, you know, you think about eBay, oh, you get to sell stuff, but you have to set up an account. You have to set up the the wallet or how to pay and how to accept. You have to set up a rating system. I mean, they had rating systems where you could review the buyers and sellers. <laughs> this is. I mean, you kind of need that if you're going to be buying drugs from the dark web. I'm just going to say, you know, if there's any site that needs a rating system, that's probably the one. Well, I mean, talk about free market. This is this is the, the this is the only time we've actually seen a free market or black market essentially mm-hmm. that is completely self-regulated. You know, you have a good product, more people will buy it. And you don't get to bully out the little guy. The little guy might have a good product too. So this was like a perfect example of a free market and how it would work. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of like the fourth third or fourth season of the wire you know where they legalize drugs and that was you know, my favorite season <laughs> oh that it's a fabulous season i think that's the season with the kids i think but maybe i, I don't know i the, every season's great but uh nonetheless so i i, I want i got a question for you yeah shoot. i was when when he's got drugs on the web when he has drugs on the website it's fine you know it's like okay yeah they're selling you know pot and whatever and then they start selling heroin. Mm. Are you okay with them selling heroin? No, so that's it's it, this is where it becomes a slippery slope and uh, you know not to be a I don't know how this is going to be taken but to think about it as the rating system that we just discussed that they had on their website that would allow people to at least know that what they're getting is on the up and up Which but is- 
I mean, I'm kind of under the belief that if you legalize everything, I feel like drugs like heroin should be purchased, not purchased, but should be more medicinally given where you where you go and kind of have like a community injection. I mean, there's European cities that do this, but safe needles and that type of thing. I don't know. Okay, so then when they started selling guns on the website, how do you feel about that? Yeah, now we're now we're. Whereas my personal thing about drugs, that's fine. And then, you, yeah, you take it this next step. I mean, where I'm already hesitant with heroin and now we're going into guns that you don't know what those guns are being purchased for or who or whom is buying those guns. Because you could literally be supplying terrorists or yeah. domestic terrorists with the means to commit some kind of terroristic act. And that, oh gosh, you know, it's like free marketplace, free system. I mean, I get it. He didn't seem to, I mean, he. it sounded like in the book, he thought about it for a day and he was like, ah, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> and then they started selling poisons on the site. Yeah, that's when cyanide became available on the site. And then unfortunately... I can't understand why you would have to have cyanide other than to poison somebody. Yeah. So it's, so. That's, that's my opinion is it's like, if you're selling something, you know, we all have the, I guess, uh, authority or right to ingest into our own body, whatever we want, but we do not have the right to do harm onto others. And when you're selling guns to people that obviously can't buy one legally <laughs> or selling them cyanide or whatever, that's obviously it's going to be used for something bad and used against somebody else. So I'm like, eh, that's, that's where my whole free market, whatever libertarian idealism goes. Mm, I'm not cool with that. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of where it lost me too. I think once we started, once the poison stuff, I mean, guns were, guns, I mean, I was obviously, if this was my situation, I would already be freaking out because of the heroin. And then guns, I mean, I guess once you've made the decision about heroin, I guess it gets easier each time. That's my thought on it. That's what my thought is, at least, about what his thinking was. Once he made one of those decisions, it made each decision that he made after that a little bit easier, even though it was completely stupid. Yeah. I'm, I'm just glad that it never went like pedophile. They never, they weren't ever selling child abuse pictures or anything like that. Uh, but still it got really bad, really wrong real quick. And you could have seen how that would have happened too, if it would have continued. Not necessarily would have happened on that site, but how would they have been able to prevent it at that point? Yeah, I mean, it was getting out of hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're selling guns, they're selling poison, they're selling heroin, cocaine. And you know, with any site, whether it be whether you know be uh, podcasting or uh, YouTube or whatever, there's always a community and. The Silk Road had its own community. And hilariously enough, the, the drug dealers didn't like the, the weapons dealers. <laughs> they didn't get along. <laughs> and they actually thought about starting the armory, which was strictly weapons that was peeled off from the Silk Road to separate me, them. It makes me think of the actual good movie. I'm, I'm not going to say it's a great movie, but the good movie, Lord of War, with nick cage yeah the the one and only nick cage yes (laughs) (laughs) but if you haven't seen that movie it's i mean that's based off a true story and it's actually pretty accurate to what did occur and i mean you're basically a gun runner at that point if you have an armory you know division of your website you're you're gun runner you're gun running what else can you be yeah, I think everyone should probably see Lord of War and then uh, what was the other one? War Dogs? Oh, yeah. War Dogs was, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Those two are just, you have to watch both of them to understand what our government was doing. They created mm. a problem and then they gave us the solution. <laughs> you know. Hmm, sounds familiar. Yeah. 
So at this point in the game, uh, Ross's, or at least the Silk Road website, is uh, getting some attention from, I think it was Wired and Gawker and all these different magazines. And then uh, the United States government, some senators came in and started having hearings about it. And uh, this obviously puts a lot more eyes on it, gets law enforcement engaged. But at the same time, I can't help but think about like when Marilyn Manson or some controversial band would go on tour and then all the Christian groups or, you know, family values groups would pick it and boycott it in protest. And I'm like, you're just making more people buy tickets. (laughs) (laughs) And when the American government had their hearings on it, his website went from, you know, millions a month to hundreds of millions a month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's basically in our other conversation that we had a you know off the record conversation about um what was going on with the DEA in the 80s and you know telling everybody how to make crack cocaine and then and then creating these laws that are just so disproportionate to what they should be yeah you know we're going to create the like it's just so ass backwards and i'm sure i'm going to hear about this but it is just <laughs> the way i feel i mean it's just what you you created the problem now you want us to pay for the solution and it's just such bullshit <laughs> and and there's good functions of government where i'm not trying to shit all over it but, no no you know um, i like schools and highways <laughs> i definitely like schools and highways and uh, you know law enforcement that do their job the, the right way and uh you know there's there are great aspects of of government now the crazy thing i was about, gonna say speaking of government and law enforcement doing it the right way there's a whole problem with the way they go about this in this book uh, yeah let's uh i mean we can talk about that right now um just because you know it doesn't really spoil anything but the detectives that were uh investigating this uh, case they weren't on the up and up were they not not all of them no there was at least two or three of them that were uh, yeah they were just as dastardly as anyone else on that website <laughs> they stole bitcoin hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars worth and uh, when a certain member of the group uh, I, I was it uh, variety jones vj or was it somebody else i don't remember uh, one of his operatives or moderators gets busted mm. and essentially uh, I think it was green, like a chronic was, pain or something. <laughs> it was the one in Utah, wasn't it? The yeah. Guy? Yeah. Old guy. And the, and I guess Ross decides, Hey, you know, I don't want this guy talking, so we need to shut him up. And of course, how do you shut somebody up? Well, you have a website where you can pretty much buy and sell anything. So the services turn into a hitman service, but Ross doesn't realize he's talking to federal agents <laughs> who are the, the hitmen. And, um, and, and it, it appears that they actually go to this man's house and rough him up and do a fake hit on him, but they steal from him. And they beat the shit out of them to make this false hit. Well, that doesn't sound like that's very government friendly or politically correct. <laughs> no. And along with all of them stealing money. I mean, and I get the temptation there. Sure. It's, it's, they think it's, it's, it's digital. It's nothing. It's, uh, but what's the difference between them stuffing $20,000 that they find at a drug house into their pants than, you know. They're they're underpaid. They're probably, you know, got a bad rating on their last yearly review. Their boss hates them. And then you throw a million dollars in front of their face that is totally untraceable. What what did you expect to happen? (laughs) Now, if I was a Ross Albrecht in this position, I would have been like, oh, payoffs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, just bribing people left and right. That's basically what he ended up doing. I mean, you mentioned it before about him not knowing what he was doing about programming and his site being taken over. I mean, he had to pay ransoms to a number of different hackers, right? Isn't that? Yeah, yeah. every time. 
every yeah. time. How many times were there? There were multiple times. Uh, there was at least two or three times that his site got taken over or po- at least portions of it were taken over and they would freeze transactions, whatever, wherever the exploit was that they found out, they would take over that and he had to pay them out. First time it was like $50,000. Second time it was more. And it's just like, oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> now is this, is this the part when they was, when he was in uh, Vietnam and he was going just sitting in like the web cafe and just yeah. <laughs> watching his money just disappear. <laughs> He's like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. I, I just can't imagine. And I'm, and the one thing about that book, which, you know, um, I'm going to, I'll put the author's name in the notes and stuff and uh, link to the, to the website. Cause it's a great book. If anybody hasn't read it, uh, it, it really does detail and show you kind of, the side of i don't know i don't know what did you what did you think about it i thought it was fairly uh balanced impar- impartial yeah, yeah not yeah. impartial but impartial um no because you have good cops in there you have mm-hmm. investigators it really makes them shine the guys that are on the hunt and then you have ross who it really gets into his head and his motivations but it shows the bad on both sides and at least, you know, however you want to interpret it, the good, at least on the law enforcement side. I don't know if you think there's any good on Ross's side or not, but some people do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you believe in free market and free marketplaces, then you're definitely going to be in his corner. Obviously you're going to have to make some sacrifices as far as what you may or may not think is on the up and up. But I, I just, I think the whole, the whole building of the website the the creation of the rating system the creation of the i mean he recruited drug dealers basically in like a matter of a weekend you know he he had stuff on the website people were selling from all over the world and this wasn't just like something that you were getting from you weren't emailing your buddy and saying hey grab me a sack of weed you were basically talking to some guy in amsterdam or (laughs) yeah or whatever and getting ecstasy anything from ecstasy to heroin to guns and now did they offer hitman services or did they just did he actually i think or did he actually put it out there that he did didn't he he put it out there that he He was looking to get yeah um, he put it out there and I, they didn't offer hitman services to my knowledge, right. but again, it was just a matter of time. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> um, uh, I just, I mean, like, yeah, this is one of those stories. It's kind it starts off where you want to be a supporter. Yeah. And you look at injustices and you see the sentence which we'll get to later and you go this just seems so backwards (laughs) but the deeper you dig into the actual things that you could do with the website it really does bring it into perspective as far as how bad this could have gotten ohio is a land of mystery from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com And that's, I guess that's why I love this story is because how far, I mean, there's all the black and white people of this world. And I'm not talking about race. I'm talking about people that are like, this is good. This is bad. You're good. You're bad. This is the law. This isn't the law. All that stuff. Their moral compass is set. But for the rest of us, how far do you go? How far do you allow this acceptance of this website when do you draw the line that it's gone too far? And I think it's great that it forces people to question their own moral compass. It really does. I mean, it, I definitely look at 
if you, you know, you brought up that question and you do have to take, you have to take stock of what you believe in. And I think you have to make decisions. Are you going to be just this little niche site that makes a few million dollars for you a year, which is hell of a living. But yeah. I mean, he was making, like we talked about the, the site was, he was making what they said in the book, $500,000 a day. Something like that. And then it was in Bitcoin and the price of Bitcoin was going up. So you're compounding his interest and his profits every day to the point where he, I mean, I don't remember if they ever put him on Forbes top 400 or anything, but he might put El Chapo on there. I don't understand why they wouldn't put him. Yeah. At one point, I wonder what he was worth at his peak. Yeah. and, and, And he was such a he was like the Steve Jobs of <laughs> of the dark web because he he was such like a non-conformist, you know. He didn't have. I could just picture him. Did they even say he had furniture? I don't know. I think that's a Jobs no. thing. But like, no, he he was such a minimalist. Like he would just yeah. wander around with, you know, crappy luggage or plastic bags and stuff, and all he had was his laptop. And he's worth like a billion dollars. <laughs> and it just shows how humble and how non-materialistic he was in that sense. But you can be humble in one sense and an extreme, crazy, you know, uh, I guess extremist in another sense, you know, and I, I guess I don't, I don't even know. It's no, there's no black and white here. There's no, he's purely an evil person who drove this terrible site to destroy people's lives. He was a normal guy just like me and you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, okay. So basically the way that the story stands, you know, at chronologically, if we're going to go chronologically, he's in a position where he's now offering or he's looking for somebody to put out a hit. He gets this government informant somehow, of course, this is how it always ends up. You know, the person you're talking to, to, do your hit for you as a government informant. I don't know how that always works, but good for the people that turn them in. Uh, But nonetheless, I think this was the guy who had cracked the system and he was actually talking with, was this the same guy that was talking with him or was this actually just like a random person that he had recruited? I think it was actually, you know, because at this point, so many people from the side had been busted that their accounts were being managed by law enforcement at this point okay so i think it was one of his uh confidants that their account was literally uh (laughs) a law enforcement officer and so when he reached out it was literally law enforcement that replied that's my understanding of it yeah it's now when was it that the law enforcement actually got the ability was it when they busted the guy in utah that they were able to get the server information and yeah the guy in utah was a uh, an admin but they had busted multiple people just regular users um through just you know drug bus right and then if law enforcement was able to connect the dots and be like oh this guy was selling on silk road that's why he was shipping so many things then they would use their their warrants to to confiscate their computers or they would just use their leverage of we will bust you to the umpteenth degree unless you give us your log on to the Silk Road. So there were hundreds of people that were busted just by local law enforcement. So they had eyes on the forms. They had eyes on all this stuff, but it wasn't until that one guy got busted, the Utah guy that they got access to direct messages because he had an admin account. So when, you know, you're on eBay and, you know, some seller pisses you off and you write to eBay on that private message thing saying, hey, this guy didn't do what he was, you know, said he was going to do or I have a problem. Well, that guy had one of those customer service admin accounts. So they got access to all of those direct messages. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's better customer service than any cable company out there. So hey, at least there's at least they're you know supplying that for the the user. <laughs> and they got a direct line to the Dread Pirate Roberts. So. The Dread Pirate Roberts. <clears throat> and where does Dread Pirate Roberts hail from? The name. Oh, that was the Princess Bride, and uh, 
um, I forgot the actor's name, but it was the, my name is uh, Antoyo, you killed my father, prepare to die guy. He's the guy from Homeland. Yeah, yeah. Like now he's like this cool, suave old dude. So, um, but uh, back in Princess Bride, uh, the Dread Pirate was this ragtag group, but um, it's a name that anyone can hold. So if you are the Dread Pirate Roberts, you reign for how long? So it's a, an idea, not a person. And that's a little reference to Batman there. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't fight an idea. <laughs> right. There's always going to be somebody that's going to take its place or take the place of the, of the idea. And now Ross had wanted or they created the whole idea of Dread Pirate Roberts with the idea of eventually not being involved right i mean he had he didn't intend to do this forever but he did intend to pass it along i'm assuming and just imagine if he would have passed it along just a week before (laughs) you know a month before he got busted yeah and he was talking that i mean the day that he got busted he's talking to like we had just mentioned you know he's talking to government people and he thinks all of a sudden you know, he's talking He's talking to somebody that he's obviously established trust with, but is actually somebody from the government. And they had been able to trace him to the, the library, I think it was, in San Francisco, the San Francisco Public Library. And uh, I think that's where they had the sting operation basically set up. And That was such a cool idea. I have to give props to the government on that one. That, that, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was overly dramatized or what, but the idea that they would be talking to him. Now, the reason being that he had created it, and I don't, did they know this? Is this why they did it? Because he had created an encryption tool that if he shut the laptop, there there was no way that you could have gotten access that was very common back then in fact uh, i worked for a a sprint or embark whatever the company was called at the time where all the laptops were encrypted and we had to have the master encryption key if i ever needed to save your data and back it up i had to have that encryption key without it i can't get access to any of your stuff so okay yeah keep going so essentially with uh with ross as soon as he, you know, they messaged him and said, hey, we need your help. And then as soon as he started communicating with them, they were like, we know where he is. We know he's at the library and we know he's online because he's chatting with us. So his laptop's open. <laughs> and that was their whole idea. And then how do you get this guy without him closing his laptop? So they had two agents literally start a commotion in front of him, like a fight. <laughs> And as soon as he looked up, because he was distracted, another agent was standing behind him and grabbed his laptop, (laughs) took it away from him. Yeah, you know, Ross had been so, he was one of those people that was very cognizant of his surroundings. And I believe, at least the way the book tells the story, is that the the agent, I I think it was a woman who sat at the table that he was at, and he thought, like he did his assessment and thought, she was not a security risk yet she was the one that when he turned around she you know snatched the laptop and things weren't going uh, his direction anymore but yeah that is definitely i think one of the more impressive uh setups by the the government especially in this digital age yeah and and before even that i mean there were so many times he almost got caught uh I remember he had his girlfriend, Julia, who told her friend about the website. And then her friend got into a fight with them and they Mm -hmm. kicked her out. And then she posted to Facebook or social media. I wonder if law enforcement would be interested in Ross's drug website. (laughs) You know, it's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And then he calls her up crying. Please take it down. Take it down. To think that nobody saw that or... I mean, he could have easily been taken, you know, busted at that point. But I remember reading about it in real time, you know, with Gawker and like, like you said, I mean, it's, it was just such a, a mysterious thing that was out there that it was only time. Time was basically not on 
Ross's side, in my opinion. I think the it's walls inevitable. <laughs> yeah, you've basically created something that one the media, even if it's not mainstream media, is talking about. And eventually, as we know how this goes, you know, stories that start on niche sites that actually end up being stories. Well, they get picked up and yeah, it's a little hard to avoid. Yeah. I mean, when the government's having hearings about it, when all these things are being publicized and, uh, and then you have the, was it New Zealand or Australia where the kid took a drug and jumped out the window of the hotel? Oh gosh. I forget where it was, but I, yeah, they, what was it? Like they took six, six tabs of acid. Each kid took one and, one kid freaked out and jumped off a roof and all that makes me think of is, you know, it's terrible because it's true, but it does make me think of uh reefer madness when you know, yeah. the guy hits the joint and proceeds to kill the people in the apartment and jump out the window. <laughs> and, and so this is like one of the main things they're charging, you know, they're going to use against Ross is the death of this kid. But somebody else bought the drugs from the site that drug somehow got into the hands of these kids at this party at this hotel. And then this one kid takes it and freaks out and jumps out the window to his own death. It's a horrible situation. And I can't imagine how bad it is for the parents, but it's like, how culpable is Ross in this? Well, that's going to, that brings up a very interesting question because when people die from drinking too much at a fraternity house like what's been going on lately or goes on every year but if somebody you know the liquor company or the beer company or whom whatever they were drinking they're not held liable or even guns you know the 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 don't even yeah (laughs) you know but it's i mean ross created a website so imagine the founder of eBay is now going to be held responsible because some seller on his website sold something to somebody who then gave it to somebody else who then died from it. Yeah. I mean, at that point, when you, when you put it in eBay terms, it's like, holy shit. Like that doesn't, you know, it's like, okay, he created the site, but it's all these other people that used the site. And I guess without Ross, the site wouldn't exist, but yeah i mean it's sort of like cut off the head and of the snake and it will go away but i mean i don't believe that i mean i'm pretty confident there's like silk road 2.0 and there's there i mean there's probably many places that you can still do this um but that brings us to the he, he gets arrested and they bring him in and they have this big trial they put him in i think they took him to the manhattan correctional mm-hmm. center which is like the same exact place that el chapo was located <laughs> and jeffrey epstein as well they're treating him like a uh like a drug czar <laughs> yeah like he's the like exactly they're treating him like he's the head of the cartel how do you feel about that i you know it's always one of those situations where we have law enforcement's response, which up until this point, I'm okay with most of the investigation. I'm okay with the way they arrested him. I'm not okay with the guys that were skimming off the top or doing the fake uh, assassination. But at this point, it's like, you know, you, you see some guy, you see some white guy who might've killed his wife and you have two investigators walk up to his front door and knock. But then you have some guy who's selling loose cigarettes out there and he's trampled by three officers and strangled. You know, the response is never consistent. It's never what you'd expect. And with Ross, he's a programmer. At the end of the day, that's kind of what he was. And sure, he might have hired some hitmen to kill somebody. Um, I've done so many stories on the Generation Y where Husbands or wives have hired hitmen to kill their spouses. They're arrested. You know, maybe there's a gun drawn. Maybe there isn't. I mean, this seems a little over the top. But then again, the cops don't know what they're dealing with. 
this guy has millions, if not billions of dollars, he could have a small army following him around. <laughs> we don't know, but apparently he doesn't. So I think it's a little bit of an overreaction and definitely what they end up charging him with. I'm thinking, geez, you just, you just wanted to make an example out of him. Yeah, I definitely think that it's one of those, uh, we're going to, we're going to make an example out of you and the punishment is going to be so severe that it's not going to fit the crime. Because what ends up happening is, in my opinion, not the way. How old is Ross at this time? He was 29 or something. <laughs> and we're not talking about some big, I mean, we're not talking about some terrorist. We're not talking about some muscle-bound hitman. We're talking about a 29-year-old average-looking white dude. <laughs> I mean, I think that when they found out who he was, I, I have to think that they were shocked at who this person was. Yeah, they don't talk about uh, any profilers profiling him or anything. You know, they just, they're just going after the Dread Pirate Roberts. And with the namesake, with the website and all the nefarious things going on, you probably imagine a walking nightmare. And then you get Ross. <laughs> it's just like, oh, he's just a person. He's just a man, just like anyone else, whatever. And so they, they charge him with this like cartel crimes and like cartel trafficking and stuff. And then they use the hitman job and they use the kid that jumped out the window. They use all these other things as like examples. But if you actually charged him with the hitman job if you actually charged him with say conspiracy to sell drugs that led to a death he could have fought those charges legally he couldn't fight these these cartel drug trafficking charges at all he had no defense for that yeah i mean so, <laughs> so what do you think about the sentence was like Two life sentences plus 40 years or something. was With, Without the possibility of parole. Yeah. Without the possibility of parole and without the possibility of any sort of defense. Like his legal team had zero defense because everything they tried to bring up was shot down by the judges and prosecutors. I don't even know if he got any kind of appeals since then. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a freeross.org, you know, website. And, you know, obviously there's plenty of people that support him, but. Um, I mean, I guess that's where I, I, I don't know how I, you know, depending on the day, I'm like, nah, dude, that guy should probably get like 10 or 15 years and that's it. <laughs> um, in my opinion, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I would say this though, you know, having done some research on the case and you know looking at what's going on as far as currently he actually made a motion in October of this year to vacate set aside or correct uh the sentence so whether or not there's any chance that actually happens uh but the, you know he obviously it was he had enough grounds to bring it to yeah to court so there is a movement to at least try to lessen the sentence because i don't see how yes okay like you had mentioned before people hire hitmen women we have seen cases on dateline 48 hours you name the show of people hiring hitmen doing the fake hit and getting 15 years yeah, and that's how I came up with that number is that's the average of the <laughs> uh, you hire a hitman to kill somebody, you're going to probably do about 15 years. And the one crazy thing about the sentence, well, the, there's a number of crazy things about the sentence, but the the thing that stands out is they're all nonviolent offenses and they didn't even charge him with any type of hit or, um, you know, because there was, you know, there was nothing they could link you know, I don't know. They couldn't link him to any actual murder. So 
I just find it completely such an overreach as far as making an example of somebody. But yeah, I mean, with that that kid that jumped out the window, who was the other guy that gave him the hit of acid or whatever it was? Why is yeah. he held responsible? He's the one that had possession of the drug that gave it to his friend. Normally, that's who we'd hold responsible, or we would hold the the dealer responsible if if even which they rarely do that we just charge dealers with dealing drugs we rarely charge them with the death of one of their users i mean yeah. that doesn't happen and so to charge ross with all this stuff and try to link this this heartfelt story of this tragedy of this boy dying into it it's like come on Thank you so much again to Justin from the Generation Y podcast for joining me this week and for you for tuning into this week's show. I will be dropping new episodes every Monday wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you enjoy this independently produced podcast, you can always help support the show with my website, whokilledamymahalovic.com, by clicking on the donate button or via the Venmo app with my username at BillHuffman3. If you do enjoy this podcast, please subscribe wherever you do get your podcasts. And if you get a chance, please leave a five-star review or don't. But I do appreciate you guys tuning in. And again, this is going to be a weekly show. And until next week, please be safe. am the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire let me tell you what you're gonna get you're gonna hear stories about demonic possessions prison stabbings skinwalkers glitches in the matrix cult leaders missing 411 night marchers operation paperclip mesopotamian devil worship and so many monsters it'll give kanye west a runaway for his money pop and meme culture also aren't off topic a camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.